Welcome to uh, Lots to Talk About with Brian, and today we are talking about Bitcoin, and we are talking with, oh man, I just confirmed his name with him, and then I totally blanked out, Didier Burrell, I believe we will have him correct me because I just murdered his name, and uh, although he is way beyond beginner level with Bitcoin, we're going to talk about the basics. Basics. He is a podcaster. He hosts the the Swiss Road to Crypto podcast. He is a former bond trader, asset swap trader, and broker, but he has gone to the crypto side. We're going to talk about uh, what Bitcoin is and uh, just all the basics and how it works and uh, what his thoughts are. Um, it's really nice to have somebody very experienced come on and discuss the basics because Man, they've been in it for a long time. So with that, I'd like to bring on our guest for the day. Welcome to the show. How are you doing today? And please correct me on your name because we talked about it three seconds and I totally forgot. <laughs> no, no, you, you did a pretty good job with my name. Hi there. My name is Didier Burrell and it's a pleasure to be on your podcast. So um, I suppose you want me to, I can give a quick introduction of myself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mean, let let uh, let people know who you are and uh, and how you got into cryptocurrency. Um, I mean, obviously, transition from financial markets and things like that is pretty natural. But uh, yeah, how'd you make that jump? Well, you gave a pretty good introduction, so I'll I'll, I'll say a little bit what you said. I used to be, you know, uh, I'm a white guy who lives in who used who grew up in America, who lived in Switzerland and London and Zurich. In Geneva, and I was a bond trader and an asset swap trader and things like that. And so I discovered Bitcoin because my field was shrinking. I could see that what I was doing was shrinking for several reasons and was becoming much less interesting than it was many years ago. And it was becoming less interesting because basically interest rates went to zero and because because of the financial crisis in 2008 and 9 and 10, there became a lot more regulation into the financial markets, which meant that there was a lot, the regulator imposed on different banks and different people a lot more transparency and a lot more regulation so that they could take a lot less risk. So that means that basically the profit potential for banks diminishes tremendously. So I was in a field where people wanted your product less because interest rates were you know, going to zero and negative, plus the regulator put on a lot of regulation, which you could say wasn't a bad idea. It's a little bit like before before the regulator put on all that regulation, it was a little bit like your 18-year-old son was driving around the Ferrari, and then he banged up the Ferrari so much that dad but, said, But with 2008, wasn't it kind of like after the water went over the dam, we were going to decide to build the dam a little higher? Is that... <laughs> yes. So they built the dam a little higher. I make the comparison. It's like your daddy takes the Ferrari away and he says, it, you cost me so much money by banging up the Ferrari last time. Now you get an Opel Corsa. You're not allowed to go <laughs> 40 miles an hour and we're not going to change that for at least another 20 years. So the profit margin, the profit the banks could make became smaller. So that's one reason. So uh, I could see all that coming. So you know, a lot of people were making less money in fixed income. So I was looking for something else, something different. And uh, like everybody else, I sort of st 
stumbled onto Bitcoin coincidentally, and like everybody else, I shrugged it off as, you know, some scammy internet, what's this bullshit? And then uh, the only reason, this is often the case, in fact, the only reason I took it seriously is because a friend of mine who I consider very bright, uh, who's not a computer git, but he's a physicist, but he's very good at everything that's related to computers as well. He told me, no, no, it's not a scam. You got to look into it. And it's be only because it came from him that I said, I can't give him an answer, which is it's a scam because the price is going up fast. I'm going to have to give him a better answer than that. So I better do my homework first and then I'll come back and tell him why it's a scam. And then, well, yeah, I think uh, we all have that person, that one person that you trust and you hear it all over and there's just somebody that it makes it click and you're like, well, I mean, I trust this guy and he, he doesn't really talk. He doesn't talk about things he's not confident in. Uh, mine was a podcaster uh, that I listened to that kind of pounded it in my head for years. And finally, I was like, all right, I'm going to look at this. And I did finally. Um, but yeah, I wish I had way before that. So, yeah. So there you go. So, uh, so basically I did my homework, but I, I always want to make everybody feel comfortable because it's what I'm about to say. I really believe in it was the case for me and it's the case for everybody, which is unless your field of expertise is distributed systems like the internet or is cryptography, Unless that is your field of expertise, you're not going to get it right away. And that's normal. You're not going to understand how it works. And that's normal because your field of expertise is not one of those two fields. So you got to, it takes you a while to wrap your brain around how it works. So don't feel bad that it takes time to figure it out. It takes everybody time to figure it out. Right. And the different explanations that I've heard from different people always kind of bring in perspective. It's, uh, it's, there's, there's a thousand ways to describe something and there's one way that's going to click with you. So that's why I like talking to experts in talking to people that are just getting into it and see how they describe and how they understand it uh, to maybe click that light bulb on for someone else. That's like, oh, that's it. I get it now. Um, so you dove into cryptocurrency and did kind of all your homework and research. Um, and it satisfies your needs. Like you, you were okay. You, you were uh, convinced it's not a scam and you kind of dove into it and made it a career. Yes. Well, yeah, no, I'm lucky enough. I don't really have to do anything to make money. <laughs> so I'm lucky enough to, to do a podcast because I find that fun and interesting, correct? Um, so I, I sort of gave up what I was doing before and I dedicate my time to cryptocurrencies, correct? I, like you, maybe it, uh, it took a while to put all the pieces together and click in my brain. And I, and li I like your, as well, your analogy that, uh, you know, you need different people to explain, you know, Everybody has a different way of seeing problems. And if I find, if you find the guy who presents the problem in a way that corresponds to your way of thinking, all of a sudden it, it clicks. So, uh, you know, I can try to give you my explanation for it as well. But it took me time to put the pieces together. And you find that you really understand it when you can explain it to somebody else. So, um, right. yeah. So, so are you... Um a Bitcoin maximalist? Are you a uh, equal opportunity crypto uh, person? Where where do you stand? Because I've kind of moved to that Bitcoin um, to that Bitcoin maximalist. I do see functionality in blockchain. 
Um, but a lot of the projects that are out there are just kind of, yeah, they're, they're, they're I hate to use the word scam in the space, but I mean, really in the end, a lot of pump and dump, a lot of uh, guys making printing money basically. But uh, I, I just, I find Bitcoin very solid. Um, and that's kind of where I, where I rest my laurels at the moment. I did play a ton in altcoins for sure. Uh, but I've kind of circled back to, uh, to the king, I guess. Well, I'll agree with you. And I think with time, most, that's what happens to most people. Because with time, most people realize, uh, what's still around three years later? Well, Bitcoin is, and 98% of the altcoins have fallen off the wayside. Uh, Ethereum, no. But Ethereum, <laughs> I consider something completely different. But um, yeah, so I'll agree with you. With time, I'm seeing all the other ones. Don't You know, uh, I think Andreas Antonopoulos, who I respect a lot, says, you know, Bitcoin is one thing that is solid and he'll invest his pension fund money in. And Ethereum, he'll say, is very interesting technology. He likes it. He wrote a book called Mastering Ethereum. And that's great. But he finds it, I think, more a uh, technology that's more in evolution, that has more that has more risks in its construction. It can lead you to interesting things, but he, he seems to imply that he wouldn't put his pension fund money in it. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I say Bitcoin is like, it's like a it's just like bricks and mortar, right? So what we do with, we do with brick walls, okay? That's what we do. And so simple and very solid. And Ethereum is like, oh, we, there's some great concepts in Bitcoin. Let's enlarge it out. So now with Ethereum, you can build, don't just build brick walls. You can build your build your house. Ah, oh, you can build a house. Oh, you can build a window and you can build a door and you can build a lock. Ah, that means if I'm a burglar, I can now come in through the window. I can now come in through the door. And there are lots of, so the, the well, to be, you know, Ethereum is Turing complete and Bitcoin is Turing incomplete. Basically, it's simpler code that does much simpler things, which makes it a lot more solid and difficult to hack and to crack, but it does less things, but it's more secure. So Ethereum, I find that it, interesting and it does a lot more stuff but it has more potential weaknesses and but i, I never really i never really got into ethereum i was a big proponent of algorand and the stuff they were doing with um like public records and deeds and title transfers and um record keeping that was that was super interesting to me because i saw a functionality there it wasn't a financial thing it was more of a functionality and i thought that was pretty cool um i kind of keep tabs on their project even though i've just kind of moved to bitcoin that's all i do anymore that's all i read about i was like finally just gave up and uh and and went to the maximalist for sure um but would you in your words um i mean they could be your words or they can be the technical definition but what is bitcoin like what is bitcoin okay for me bitcoin is just another way of organizing a database it's a database organized in a new way. So unfortunately, unfortunately, in Bitcoin, for all the people who try to learn it, all the terms were given by computer scientists, which means they explain things fucking horribly and it's totally confusing. Okay, So Bitcoin, the word, in fact, means two things. Uh, it's Bitcoin, if you spell it with a capital B, that means the Bitcoin blockchain, which is like the database. And it tracks who owns which Bitcoin, spelled with a lowercase b, which is the asset, the thing that's worth about $17,000 today. So the analogy I use, it's like saying the land registry is a database and it tracks who owns which apartment or who owns which piece of land. The Bitcoin blockchain is the database that tracks who owns which Bitcoin. 
So it's just, so it's a database. It's just another way of organizing a database, but it's organized in a completely new and different way. And because it's organized in a completely new and different way, it's obtained certain qualities that you only get there. Basically, it's the first time we were able to organize a database in a decentralized way. Uh, and the end result is that you get something which is censorship resistant. Uh, and that is a tremendous property because, uh, in my opinion, nothing... Basically, what is the use case for censorship resistant? Why would you want to use censorship resistant database? And the ultimate use case for a censorship resistant database is money or some store of value. I even call it store of value because right. who use it as a means of payment. Depends where you live. I don't use it as a means of payment, but maybe if you live in Lebanon, you do. But I mean, probably most people in the U.S. do not. I don't. But because we don't not yet. It, you know? not yet, not yet, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, for me, it's just another way of organizing a database and it's organized in a decentralized way. And because it's organized in a decentralized way, you get the censorship resistance. And the idea is that like, instead of having one person, the, the, so there's sort of like two or three fundamental ideas, but like one of the basic fundamental ideas is Instead of having one person check everything, you have everybody check everything. So I use like two or three analogies. It's a little bit like saying, we're going to play football, but there's not going to be a referee. Ah, so how's that going to work? Well, it's going to work because every player is going to check that every other player is playing by the rules and is not you know, committing a foul. And if I think you're committing a foul, not only will I ignore you, but I'm going to tell all my friends that you're committing a foul. Don't play with him because he's offsides and he's pretending not to be, all right? So very quickly, you have a game that's being played only, only by people who think that everybody else is playing by the rules and nobody's committing a foul. Because not only do I ignore you, but I tell my friends to ignore you. That's in the, in the gossip protocol of Bitcoin. So, I, so basically, everybody checks everything. Everybody, so it's like if you run, the let's say, the land registry, there's not one central person like whatever, the city of New York, checking every single transaction in the land registry. It's every person in New York checks every single transaction, not only their own, but every transaction of everybody. Okay. Uh, that's, uh, so you, that's how you create. It's really powerful is what it is. It's really, which makes it extraordinarily redundant and uh, wasteful. I mean, wasteful. I don't call it wasteful. I mean, you know, it must be a much more uh, efficient way. It makes it completely inefficient and redundant. But because of that, you have everybody check everything and everybody keeps a full copy of the database. So there are many copies of the same database that all have to be coordinated. And that's the whole proof of work and Byzantine General's problem. But that's that's the whole innovation of Bitcoin is how do you have, how do you have a database where there are many different people who have a copy of the same database and they all agree. That's, I can explain that in a second if you like, but yeah. that was the fundamental innovation that, that, that came from Bitcoin and that's how you created a decentralized database. So, uh, so if you like, how do you keep, so a little bit, <laughs> I, 
I'm not sure if I'll be too technical here. I'm oh sure. no, no, no. Go ahead. Go ahead. I think you're kind of I think you're kind of leading into how Bitcoin actually works. And, that, exactly. and that's kind of my next question. So if you want to just go down that road and if you start going too far technical, I'll let you know. I'll jump okay. in. But um, but I kind of got a I got a I got a pulse of my audience and uh, and my crowd and I think I can uh, I can I can guide you through where you where you get a little too far. All right. Okay, good. All right. So yeah, so the idea is like I said, if we want to take the control out of one person and we have to, so the idea is we give it to everybody. So we make everybody check everything, which is extraordinarily, like I said, inefficient, but at least you gain decentralization. And through, so, so how do you, so the Byzantine generals problem is another one of those computer terms that nobody will understand unless you're a computer scientist and you, you know, studied this in school. Otherwise, you know, what the fuck does that mean? Byzantine generals problem. <laughs> Byzantine generals problem well, it sort of solves uh, Bitcoin to solve two problems at once: Byzantine generals problem and double spend. I'll explain those. So the Byzantine generals problem is the idea that if everybody's got a, a copy of the database, like the database being, let's do an example of uh, you know the land registry in New York, meaning every, the database here is everybody's got a copy of all the transactions, the Bitcoin blockchain of who, who passed money to whom. How do you make sure everybody has the same copy and it is the correct copy? So, the, like I said, the fundamental question is you ask everybody to check the same thing. But you have to imagine, like, if one guy over there says, I spent my, I sent my Bitcoin to that guy, and, and he tells his friends that, how do you make sure that the guy on the other end of town also has that same piece of information, and he doesn't get another contradictory information by the same seller saying, I didn't sell it to A, I sold it to B at another price. So... That's why everybody has to have a copy of the database so that when you, when you get the, uh, the information, you can update your database. Uh, it's a little bit like, I don't know, everybody's got a copy of everybody else's bank account and then you try to send out two checks. Well, which check is going to work? Well, the, the, the check that's neither. not going to bounce <laughs> is the first one that gets accounted uh, uh, for by everybody else and the second check won't, will, will bounce, right? But everybody has to have a copy of that. Now it's to have a copy of the whole database and then it's going to update their database. So uh, the Byzantine general's problem is a little bit, if everybody's got a copy of the database, how do you make sure that everybody's copy agrees and that it's the correct copy? So uh, plus the double spend problems, of course, if there were two problems in there, one is everybody has to agree Two, what we're transferring is something that's purely digital or virtual. So in digital or virtual things, you can copy it a hundred times and nobody will see the difference between the copy and the original. So it's like, uh, I have a check, I write a copy of a check and I only have a hundred bucks in my bank account and I give you a check for a hundred bucks and then I spend a hundred bucks again by giving it to somebody else. That's the that's, old, I, I must have a money in the account because I have checks left. <laughs> so that's that's the double spend problem. So. You got to imagine they're going to be dishonest people. Everybody has to have an updated, correct copy of the database. Plus, you can imagine that what, what it is that we're tracking within this database is something that can be reproduced to infinity. So basically, all those problems we were never able to solve before, before Bitcoin, and then Bitcoin solved them. So... Uh, <laughs> That, so uh, that's for me basically how it works that's uh, I can well then I can explain the proof of work which is the, the basic principle like I said is everybody checks everything and then you sort of cement it all together 
by performing a mathematical problem so that once we have done the once we have done the once we have updated the beta, the database we can no longer change it by asking miners to to perform a proof of work which which uh, solidifies or which um, makes permanent the, the 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 transactions in the past so so basically everybody so we talk um I think my my crowd knows like a block and and every what is it every ten is it ten minutes? Correct. What, what, the, the, every ten the, minutes. Okay. So every ten minutes, the block gets updated with all the transactions that have happened in that last ten minutes, and then the miners uh, verify that that the the database is correct, and then it is distributed to all the people that want to hold a copy. Is that kind or all the nodes? Is am I kind Correct. of close? Correct, you are. So, well, there's a there's a great video by Andreas Antonopoulos on on YouTube. What happens in a Bitcoin transaction? So, I'll I'll try to simplify what he said. But correct, there's so everybody who's running a node, basically everybody's got a copy of the database. Every so you're, they're all getting all these transactions through the internet on their node of all these transactions that are happening now. I, I'm going to send you some money, okay? So they all go into something called the mempool, which means memory pool, which is like the, me the mempool, the memory pool of existing transactions. So every node, so every copy of the database, and we think there are probably more than 100,000 nodes all over the world. So that's to show you it's decentralized. Uh, they, all, they all take a copy of the database for every transaction. They say, ah, okay, yeah, this guy wants to spend this money. Okay, according to me, he has it. He's, spending, he's sending the money over to him. Okay, fine. So everybody does that. Every node does that. Every full node does that. What the miner does is he does something on top of that. The miner takes all the transactions in the mempool, takes a bunch of them, and he, and he hashes them together. He like condenses them. Okay? okay. So it's a little bit like, and then he, and he adds a problem onto it. So it's a little bit like if I said to you, let me try this other analogy. Let's see if this one works. Uh, it's like, oh, say you got a, a math teacher in front of a school, in front of a classroom of kids who are 12 years old, right? So we're going to do a math problem. Everybody has to shout out the answer, okay? So all the transactions are like three and three plus two equals six. So we're going to take all the pending transactions. We're going to smash them together. Like one transaction is the number three. One transaction is the number two. Three times two is six. Okay, you smash them together. Okay, that's, those are the, but now we got to add on a problem to it. The, the 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 math teacher yells out to the whole class, basically the, the yells out to all the miners. Uh, what number do I have to multiply six by to get twelve? And they all start looking for the number. Ah, it's two. Okay, and then everybody checks. Ah, yeah, six times two is equals twelve. So two was the correct number. That's correct. Okay, so. The numbers now, you took the transactions in the mempool, let's say that I'm representing them by say two transactions, number three and number two, you smash them together, you get six. What number do I have to add to from multiply by six to get 12? The math teacher yelled that out. Somebody finds the right answer. The miner finds the correct answer, shouts it out. It's two, six times two equals 12. Everybody agrees. Okay, then that that is the valid block. Now, in the next trans. That, so that block gets validated because all the other miners agree that the first miner found the correct number two. That miner gets 
new Bitcoin for doing that work. That is, this is the process of proof of work. This, he gets, for doing the proof of work, in other words, finding the number two, he, he gets a, uh, um, a reward in Bitcoin. And this reward is predetermined and gets cut in half every two years. So right now a miner gets, I forgot if it's six and a quarter, six and a half Bitcoin. In 2024, it'll be cut in half, and then it'll be cut in half again four years later, and four years later, it'll be cut in half. And then you'll get to a point where you can no longer cut the reward in half, and that's when you'll be at 21 million Bitcoin. So there is no code that says when you get to 21 million, stop. It just says at one it's point. just it runs out of being divisible. Right. For exactly. to, 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 uh, so what happens at that point? I mean, that's long after we will, we, I mean, isn't yeah, that theoretically like 20... that's in 2147 or something? Yeah, like yeah, yeah. That. Yeah. yeah so, but theoretically, what happens at that point with Bitcoin? Does it continue to, are you yes. going to still be able to transact because are miners actually going to be motivated to uh, validate the transactions if they're not being rewarded? Well, they'll get fees right now. Okay. If you look, because they're right now, if you look at minor rewards, last time I looked, it was about 5%. In other words, the miner's complete reward, is 95% of it is made up of, of uh, the block reward, the six and a half, I think he gets. And about 5% is made up with, of fees. With time, fees do go up. So right. this whole problem of how a miner is going to make money, I also heard the sentence saying, yeah, but I've been hearing that since the beginning of Bitcoin. And the price keeps going up, right? You say, ah, oh, they're going to get less of it, so the price has to go up. <laughs> ah, that sounds Ponzi schemeish. Yeah, but we've been hearing that since the beginning. We've also seen that basically the cost of energy gets cheaper and cheaper. I've done lots of podcasts with people who will tell you that people are always able to find cheaper sources of energy. Plus, the hashing rate becomes cheaper. In other words, the the ASICs, the the the, ASICs the power it takes to run that computer. Yeah, or or the chip itself the becomes chip so itself. much more powerful that we we have so much uh, you know power so yeah so, so just yeah so could so is this am i thinking about this right so when you do a bitcoin transaction and you're waiting for it to be finalized and you see three confirmations seven confirmations 10 confirmations so that is the confirmations of that original miner getting that finding that number to answer the question solving that question you that the teacher yelled out are those confirmations people saying, yes, that is correct? Like, I'm just like when I pull up the block transaction, like I'll click on it and I'll look at it. And I have no idea what I'm looking at. Um, but I see confirmations and it'll say, oh, not available in your wallet until X amount of confirmations. Or what are those confirmations? Is that a confirmation of that original miner or... Ah, so you can have the number of, there are two things. So like the art, we just, let's say I just sent you some Bitcoin. They're in the la latest block. So we can see how many other, we can say it's either the number of other nodes that have accepted this block as a valid block. Okay. Or, but usually when they mean confirmations, they mean there was uh, several successive blocks. Meaning, okay, so for example, I did our transaction Three times two, it got smashed together. Six, the proof, somebody did the proof of work. He found the number two. Six times two equals 12. Fine. Then you take, because this is what really makes it immutable, the past immutable, is that in the next block, you have to take the 12 from the previous block. You have to add it 
to the new transactions, you're going to say 12, plus there are going to be some new transactions, three and three. Mm -hmm. Three times three is nine, and nine plus 12 is whatever that is, 21. And now we got to find some number that times 21 equals 42, so that's going to be two again. But meaning, you, you take the hash from the previous block and you put it in the next block. I'm getting to the, uh, you're going to see this, the answer. To I, 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 I know <laughs> right where you're going. And it, it, yep, yep. Meaning it, it, if I, now if I want to, <laughs> now if I want to change the, the transactions in the first block that came out to, you know, the three and the two, I can't because the sub, subsequent blocks, none of them are going to match because we it's had to the, take it's the, the base. It's the base layer you're building the next block on. So once it's right. there and the next block is being built, you can't change the bottom. Correct. Exactly. Okay. It's a, cool. The other analogy I say is, is so. Uh, uh, so the number of confirmations are the number of blocks that have come on top of the block in which our transaction is in. Okay. The other analogy I use it's like it's like building a brick wall, and if you're a brick layer, you have to start laying bricks on the highest part of the wall. So if you're so if the if our transaction is in a brick three or four layers down from the top of the wall, uh, that means there are three or four confirmations on it. And every sort of node, he has to, the rule of Bitcoin is that you have to, you have to recognize as the valid database, the valid blockchain, uh, the, the chain with the most blocks on it. Uh, so it's a little bit like you have to validate, you have to recognize the, the wall with the highest number of bricks on top of it, if you like. Right. And, and, uh, and, and just by theory, like the more bricks that get laid on top of it in this analogy, the more secure that bottom brick becomes, the more locked in it is, because now you got the next block is dependent on that one. But there, it just uh, scales a magnitude up because any change below is going to just throw everything off above. So the more the more layers, the more security. You can do the questions and answers yourself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the perfect answer. Yeah, I mean, it just it just all like you, this is this is kind of what I was alluding to earlier. Is with a different explanation, a lot of things just kind of light up, like. I understood that concept before, but I didn't really understand it in the way you put it. And with that brick analogy, yeah, that, that did it. So I appreciate that for sure. Yeah. Um, so you're, we're talking proof of work with Bitcoin. Now there's also proof of stake with other cryptos. Um, what's proof of stake and how is that different than what Bitcoin uses with proof of work? Good question. Okay, the simple academic answer is there are two different consensus mechanisms. So, all that. so the consensus mechanism is the mechanism by which everybody agrees that this is the valid state of the database. So in Bitcoin, as we sort of described, you have to do proof of work or you have to like build a brick wall and everybody has to recognize as the valid state of the database the one with the most cumulative proof of work, which is like the highest brick wall. And for each brick, like we said, you have to perform a mathematical task and find a specific number and we can make that number more or less difficult and so but the, i i can prove to you mathematically that some computer had to spend a certain amount of energy to perform a certain amount of work to find the answer to that mathematical problem that's proof of work proof okay. of stake is let's fuck all this let's not do any calculations 
screw that. That takes too much energy, too much time. And, and that's a little bit also why it takes about 10 minutes because we want the problem to be relatively difficult to solve and we want to give everybody time to update the database and everybody time to check that the, form, that the calculation was done correctly and all that. Uh, but that, that's proof of work. Ah, screw that. That takes too long. It's too much energy. Let's do something else called proof of stake. So proof of stake is, let's just trust. <laughs> You're going to see, I don't really like proof of stake, even though one has to be open-minded. <laughs> that was going to be my just... follow-up question, but you're really, you're really kind of nailing it out there. I don't even need to ask the question, I don't think. <laughs> proof of stake means let's just trust a bunch of validators. Okay, so uh, let, I don't want to make it sound that bad because it isn't all that bad. Um, validators say, let's take a bunch of people who we trust and they're just going to take all the transactions and put them together. And we're going to trust that as the valid state of the database. It's, I don't know, like taking the land registry and you take 10 notaries in the city of New York and you have them check all the transactions and say all these transactions are valid and that's the state of the database. So where does Instead the state of come whole from? Instead state of New York, we're just relying now on 10 chosen people. Correct. So where does this whole... So why is it not as bad as I make it sound? Well, what can they lose? Well, they have these like notaries or these stakers, or they're called validators in, in Ethereum. They have to put up a stake. They have to have skin in the game. So let's just not make it look too well, too easy for them. They have <laughs> just, to have random, three, just three random guys get to control the whole thing. Don't worry about right. it. <laughs> so what's the? they have to have some skin in the game, meaning they have to stake some of their own coins, Ether, for example, in Ethereum. And if they validate transactions that others decide are invalid, or, you know, if they're cheating, then they lose their stake. And sort of, sort of the idea, the protection is we're going to make them stake more money than they collect in fees. So they got to stake, you know, 100 bucks, and they can only collect 10 bucks in fees. So that's going to give them the incentive to not cheat. So that's sort of the protection. And they're sort of checked by other people. In other words, there's not one validator, there are many of them. So the, the biggest blockchain uh, that uses it is Ethereum. I have to say, previously, I think off beforehand, you were mentioning Algorand, and there are other blockchains that are very good. I, I have to say, I never really study them that much, because when you look at on-chain activity, aside from Bitcoin, in smart contract land, like Ethereum is like by far the biggest. So that's why I never really look at the other ones. But, you know, they could be some very valid stuff in there. So if you yeah, like the all, biggest. All, like I could stake part of mine. I think it was, uh, I think the way it was set up and I, I, I try not to speak about things that I'm not 100% sure on, but just here it was uh, basically, it was a random pull of anyone that is staked. So it was um, if you were trying to uh, to influence the validators, you would have to it was instantaneous. They were picked from everybody that staked Algorand um, was picked at random at the beginning of each cycle. And then it was re-randomized the next time. So that that was my understanding of it. So it was just a rolling uh, a rolling group out of a pool uh, every every time. It was kind yes, of my correct. understanding. Correct. I, I, like I said, I'm not don't consider myself a specialist on Algorand. The, the inventor of it, Silvio Michali, is very 
uh, entertaining and interesting. And he's a very smart guy. He won a Turing Prize, so he, you know, he must be smart. And his whole idea, absolutely, is is, is what you just said. It's the idea. Well, censor. Well, if we want censorship resistance, well, the validators you can't influence them. You can't force them to censor things because the process of determining who validates the next block is so fast and so sort of random that we don't know beforehand who's going to validate so you don't know who to you don't know who to apply pressure on if you want to censor things right, that's right. a little bit his idea which is an interesting idea I, yeah I, and I, I think it has a lot of functionality i mean i don't i don't think that um like you said it's just database it's database administration um like it doesn't have to be currency it doesn't have to be money it doesn't have to be a store of value it can definitely be just record keeping um and I'm I'm cool with that. I just not I'm not like like you said, I'm not going to put my pension fund into it. <laughs> so. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, like I always say, uh, Bitcoin, I mean, proof of work is extraordinarily inefficient and extraordinarily redundant. But you gain the quality of censorship resistance and censorship resistance. The ultimate use case for censorship resistance is money. Many other things don't really need censorship resistance, like the well, well, right, and you know, the, it might be highly inefficient and uh, seem a little silly to some for me to take cash and go into a vault in a bank and put it with two keys in a social security or uh, a safety deposit box and and go to those extreme measures. But when you're talking about people's value, their their store of value and and I mean, pretty much what they're going to survive on if if they have to, as far as money, um, I think it's worth going that extra mile. And and as you were kind of getting to is, you know, but but my car title. I mean, nobody shit cares. Happens all the time. Shit happens yeah. all the time where my shit gets messed up in government paper shuffling. So if it's a little less secure, it's a little more efficient and things like that on a on a lesser a lesser secure blockchain or a lesser or a more efficient blockchain. Um, nah. OK, OK, we'll get it straightened out. You know, who's really stealing my car title instead of stealing all my value, my wealth? <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah, but getting back to proof of stake, the, the sort of main um, uh, criticism towards uh, proof of stake is that, for example, in Ethereum, the validators, in other words, anybody can stake. In other words, to be a validator, somebody who validates blocks and validates transactions, that's called a validator. But anybody can be a staker. In other words, to be a validator, you need 32 Bitcoin. If you don't have 32 Bitcoin, you can be a staker. In other words, you take your one bit. You take no, sorry, you don't need 32 Bitcoin. Sorry, I meant you need 32 Ether. To be a validator, you need 32 Ether. Sorry, and any if you don't have 32 Ether, you can be a staker, meaning you can stake your ETH. You can give it to a validator, and he will validate, and then he will give you part of of his fees, part of his prize, like a co-op, uh, like a co right? So. The thing is, being a validator in Ethereum requires a high level of, you know, infrastructure. Running a node is relatively complex and difficult, and it's going to be much more expensive and difficult than running a Bitcoin node, meaning not everybody's going to run it. So how many validators are there? So in Ethereum, there aren't that many. I forgot how many they are because it requires a certain amount of infrastructure. And the four or five biggest ones I forgot off. Well, the biggest one is Lido, and I think Coinbase is like second or third, and I forgot who the other ones are, but basically they're all en they're all entities that are mostly in the U.S. In fact, and they're legal entities running big businesses. So that's what 
Bitcoin maxis don't like about this is like if the U.S. government wants to come down and put pressure on Leo and saying all those transactions between Didier and Brian, we don't like them, take them out, don't validate them. They will because they don't want to lose their business license for something else. And right. That's that's uh, kind of that's defeats the, the point. <laughs> exactly. So that's the main problem. But, you know, anyway. Uh, I would, uh, <laughs> uh, I, to be honest, I've listened to many debates. Uh, let's try to be intellectually honest here. I've listened to many debates by proof of stake people and proof of work people. And if you listen to proof of stakers, they'll give you good arguments why proof of stake should be a valid consensus mechanism, why it might even have certain advantages over proof of work, because in reality, to be a miner, it takes a lot of investment. Uh, so to be honest, if you're intellectually honest, uh, there are good arguments to ad uh, admit proof of stake. For me, the proof is in the pudding. So the proof in the pudding meaning is it censorship resistant, can it resist attacks on a big scale? Uh, has it been battle tested? So the answer is proof of work of Bitcoin has been battle tested and proof of stake has not been. So will it prove to be really censorship resistance and a good mechanism of consensus? It's too early to tell. I, right. I, have, the, I have the bias of proof of work because you're not, you know, uh, <laughs> finding a random number seems more inherently more, uh, less manipulable. <laughs> than right. Oh, for a sure. Bunch of, yeah. So, yeah, yeah, I, uh, I definitely see where you're coming from. But, you know, and then they're coming from um, a totally different angle. And so, yeah, being intellectually honest and being able to listen to both sides of it and, hey, really concede that there are places for this, but also stand strong on the fact that, hey, what we wanted was something that wasn't censorable. And this is absolutely censorable with the right manipulation, like proof yes. of work, proof of work. No, we can't. I mean, we can't, or no one has been able to. Um, but proof of stake, like you have that door. You, it's not been opened. It hasn't been opened yet, but it's there. Like you can say, "Oh, here is the frame. Here is how it would be done, and how it could be done." Now we have to, we have to rely on honesty and uh, values and integrity. Which, when you start talking about big companies and entities in the United States, I mean. <laughs> There's been there's been things that uh, haven't gone that way. <laughs> yeah. So like another point just to prove to, to sort of back up my idea that proof of work is, not, is censorship resistant. And this gets into the idea that it takes you a while to really accept Bitcoin as being censorship resistant because you have to sort of follow it for a while to see it for yourself. So. What examples do I give to say that it's censorship resistance? Well, the first case came in 2012, I think it was, when uh, the U.S. government wanted to censor WikiLeaks because WikiLeaks was uh, supporting uh, Julian Assange. Mm -hmm. So the U.S. government said no to the banks and to the credit card companies do not transmit any money to WikiLeaks. And of course, those guys the banks and the credit card companies stopped transmitting any money to WikiLeaks immediately. And then WikiLeaks said, give us money in Bitcoin. And, and they got a ton of money in Bitcoin and nobody could stop it. Uh, in every country that has tried to outlaw Bitcoin, I mean, China, India, and so on, all you see is the usage goes up. 
people adopt <laughs> nodes because running a node is easy and uh, they use it and nobody can stop them. Another example, they'll give you- What was that? I, I, saw, I saw the headline, Bitcoin bans, or China bans Bitcoin for the 14th time or something like that. It was yeah, just that, like, absolutely. Oh. So the second time it just showed you that the first time didn't work. So the other example I gave is that there was a US miner, I think it was Marathon, who said, ah, okay, we don't want any problems with the US government. We don't want any problems with regulators. So they don't want us to, any of these OFAC non-compliant Bitcoin addresses, we will not trans, we will not mine any transaction of those addresses. So we won't have any problems with the US regulation. That's what a US miner said. And then they, like three months later, they dropped it because it's like, well, we're not mining them, but other people are mining them. They're getting into blocks. It makes no difference at all. So screw this. We're not going to, we're not going to do this anymore. So it takes you a while to get used to this idea. And that's a little bit, Plus the fact that we, you know, we don't know who Satoshi was and that he probably dead and that he, he didn't give himself any coins. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to sound more maxi than I maybe have, but uh, <laughs> uh, he didn't give himself any coins. Whereas Ethereum, those guys, you know, the Ethereum Foundation gave themselves 70% of the coins to begin with. So, you know. Uh, anyway, that's uh... yeah. yeah, that's a it's it's a definitely the mystery and the you know the code is there. I mean the white paper, the code, um, just the mystery and mystique around Satoshi and who, what, where, how, and then just gone. Like it's it it really it really I struggle to believe there's an altruistic person out there like that that just. Ha but there is like there are there are people that will just do i mean it's it's probably one of the the great wonders of the world it will end up being one of the great wonders of the world is bitcoin in my opinion um and it was just created and no fanfare no recognition no nothing like here you are here is the key to the future of wealth so, you know, of course, I shouldn't say this because it doesn't depend on people. It, it depends on pro projects. But there's an article giving a good candidate for Satoshi. And of course, this is purely speculation, but I, I have to give into it. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> the, uh, if you look it up on, uh, on the Internet, it's a Medium article. And the fellow's name is Lenz Sassaman. Lenz Sassaman. And if you read this article, Len Sassaman is Satoshi or something like that. I've got the exact name. You read that article, you'll be convinced it's him. And uh, so this guy was like one of these crypto geniuses who was totally tormented. And basically, Satoshi, at one point, you know, he said, I'm out of this project. I'm giving it up. I'm no longer involved. And then Sassaman killed himself like three or four months after that date. So if you look at like why could Len Sassaman be Satoshi? Like he checks all the boxes. Like oh, this right. guy was involved in PGP, which is the digital signing algorithm used in Bitcoin. This guy worked with Eric Chom, who was one of the first guys to develop blockchain. This guy knew, um, uh, uh, what's the fellow uh, who was in California? Hal Finney. This guy conversed with Hal Finney. This guy... Okay, he killed himself after he said he was going to give up Bitcoin. This guy uh, had some work in blockchains. This guy did his work with Eric Chom, who was founder of eCash. And, 
uh, Satoshi, he exchanged some emails, and we know, we think that certain emails, that, okay, if you look at the time they were written, you figure this guy must have was probably in Central Europe or probably in Western Europe because of the timestamp on the emails. At the time he wrote the email, he was probably in Western Europe. And Len Sassaman at that time was in Belgium. So basically, there are all these checks. So, so the point is, uh, he was one of these tormented geniuses who, you know, great invention and then killed himself unfortunately so um yeah so we don't know interesting. I got, i'm gonna have to dig into that because that's that's pretty interesting uh when i've gone down the road of all the oh it was the cia oh it was this oh it was that and i'm like i don't care <laughs> i, I no, mean no in the end it's like electricity who invented it well nobody it doesn't matter anymore everybody uses it that's what's important right so, right 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 yeah. So, um, we're, we're kind of pushing up towards an hour. I had one question I want to talk about because a friend of mine and I do a podcast on Wednesdays about uh, Bitcoin lightning and it's for, um, the beginners it's for the amateur. It's not like we have a bunch of people in our group that are programmers, our developers, stuff like that. But we also have a lot of people that are just getting into using like the lightning tip bot on telegram, uh, sending lightning for payments, stuff like that. Um, I'm, I, I consider lightning protocol, probably one of the keys to of Bitcoin because there's people using it all the time that don't even understand that they're using it and they don't even understand they're using cryptocurrency. What are your thoughts on lightning protocol and, um, what it's going to do for Bitcoin? Well, like everybody else, I hope it'll increase usage. For people who haven't used it, it's a little bit like using a Venmo or something or using Apple Pay. It Payments are instantaneous and um, you can make payments anywhere in the world. And, uh, you know, that's great. So people who use it a lot, I have a Lightning Wallet. I, in fact, don't use it that much yet because I don't really need it as a means of payment. But uh, they'll tell you it's great. But probably not good for payments above two hundred bucks or three hundred bucks. You got to keep right, it right. Like but it is instantaneous and about free, and so it is great for small instantaneous payments all the time. What, what we what we kind of went down the road of a guy a guy the guy that I do the podcast and I we kind of tar- started talking about it we got exposed to it a little bit um, we really dove into like the value for value um, theories and the value for value platforms and things like that where um, micro tipping becomes very easy with Bitcoin at that point and we kind of sat there and looked at each other and one day went this is the alt killer this was this was the the we need this alt because it's fast we need this alt because of this or xyz and lightning is starting to check those boxes like we don't need a faster anything now because lightning's instantaneous um it's uh it's 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 cheaper it's it's all the things that everybody always said we need this alt because bitcoin doesn't do this um and and we look at it and go Okay, well, this just blows that all out of the water because now it's fast, efficient, cheap. <laughs> like, so uh, we're hoping, yeah, we're hoping it just kind of spirals up and it's an easy onboard when you can when you can send and uh, receive and ma- mess around with and lose um, even you know a penny for very cheap. It's an easy way to get people going. Oh, I can do this. 
I can do this. They're not sending a quarter Bitcoin at, you know, four grand. They're sending a thousand Satoshis at 20 cents. Correct. So I certainly agree with you and I hope you're right. And I use some of it myself. And for me, you know, I do podcasts and so do you. So I, I like this idea that, uh, that, that lightning can help you with tremendously, which is that the, 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 the viewer, the consumer of the content that you produce, he pays you directly. And we've taken out tremendous amount of friction. Unfortunately for most people, there still is friction to uh, getting some Bitcoin in a lightning wallet to begin with. I mean, even like 10 bucks worth. And now you right. have 10 bucks and I'm going to tip Brian when I like what he says. And I'm going to tip Brian for this podcast that he did that I like and so on. But once you're over that, then there is no more friction. And I think that's great because, of course, what you know all content pro pro producers want is to be directly in contact with their audience and have their audience pay them and not go through YouTube or whoever and have YouTube right. take. Uh, so YouTube, to their de de, you know defense, they're going to tell you, we take out all the money because we have all the infrastructure costs. Yeah, okay. Yeah. But okay. But uh, I, yeah, still... Uh, you I, can have the I, infrastructure, but without the content, you don't have much. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, I, you know, I want the artist or the producer of the content to get to get paid by his audience, and and this is a tremendous uh, way of reducing friction. And in general, when you reduce friction, you increase volume tremendously. So yeah. I hope it, you know, I hope that comes. And I, yeah, I, why don't we have more of it? I don't know. But the other thing that I'm sort of positive about is. For example, I was once on, no, I had Kevin Rook on my podcast and he says, oh, why don't you use Lightning to tip people? And so on. And I said, well, because I, I don't have any revenue in, in Bitcoin. Uh, so I got to go change some Swiss francs into Bitcoin and then tip people. But now more and more, you can have some revenue yourself directly in Bitcoin. Like I participate in Stacker News and when I post stuff and other people like it, I get mm -hmm. tipped in sats or I might have some, some revenue in sats on a podcast. Meaning... Once I start to have sources of revenue directly in SATs, uh, I'm very happy to redistribute that to other people who produce stuff I like. And so, therefore, then we can create our own economy. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I, uh, I'm all yeah, for that's, it. <laughs> that's my theory. Um, I got hooked up with Fountain.fm uh, way back. Uh, they started doing, like, you can, you can when you listen to your podcast, they will stream you Satoshis while you're listening. Uh, I was in long before they started doing that, just on the value for value idea. Uh, but almost 100%. I, I skim off 30% of what I take in there uh, and throw that into a wallet. But 70% of what I make on that podcast platform goes right to my group on Telegram. Like, you join the group and you want to learn how to use lightning, I will give you 10,000 Satoshis just to do it. And it didn't cost me anything. I earned that from fans um, that listen to my show. Uh, so it's, it's only right that I spread that to you to, to mess around with like, Hey, here's some, here's some chips, try to go play the game um, and start to get comfortable with it. It's not going to cost you anything. It's free to you. It was, it was, it wasn't free to me. I put content out and was was uh, given value for the value I put out, but it didn't monetarily cost me anything to to give you that to start. And in 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 reality, it's a dollar or what whatnot. So, 
do you do with do you do a call to action on your podcast to get people to use up a fountain yes yeah um here i'll show you uh on the screen here uh usually when i don't oh what is going on with my computer uh usually when i don't have a um guest on the where is it sorry um, you're gonna have to give me you're gonna have to uh, you're gonna have to uh, <laughs> raise my game a little bit you're gonna give me a little tutorial maybe after the podcast but yeah 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 uh, for yeah. sure for sure but um yeah so that is that's my theory like i i don't make enough on um i don't make enough on fountain to like support myself but i do make enough on fountain to give people um to give people a little head start to learn and to play. And it didn't cost me anything other than putting my podcast out and transferring, you know, the transfer fee on, on lightning is nil, but Oh, here, I found it. This is what I usually have on my screen. When I do my daily live stream, um, the fountain logo, this is a direct QR tip link for spark wallet. And then my, uh, my lightning URL down there. So, I try to throw that out there on every screen when I'm by myself. Obviously, when I have a guest, I don't want it covering up their face, so I just drop it, drop things down. But um, yeah, that's kind of that's kind of my call to action on there. Every uh, at the end of every show, I I say Fountain FM and all the other podcast apps because those guys are you know uh, we got in so like I just happened to hear about it and got in uh, and started listening it, and I really liked the platform. And then they started giving sats away and this and that and i was like oh man you're gonna ruin it you're gonna have everybody coming here for free money um and they're not understanding that it's two cents a day <laughs> and yeah so but yeah fountain.fm really enjoy those guys so good good yeah yeah well after the podcast we know that but you're gonna i'm gonna ask you a few you're gonna show me how you got yourself set up and i'll sure, sure. Yeah, no problem. Again. But uh, yeah, let's talk about your podcast. Why don't you uh, Why don't you tell us what you talk about? Uh, how kind of often it comes out, and where people can find you, and we can get wrapped up here and uh, and get you uh, back to your day. All right, thank you. Yeah, my podcast is called The Swiss Road to Crypto. So uh, uh, probably a little bit like you, I try to find interesting people who I think are doing interesting things. My 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 idea is more try to find interesting people doing interesting things and hopefully cutting edge. And I'm based in Switzerland. So most of my guests, I, I try to have as many guests, Swiss guests on as possible. I try to sort of distinguish myself as being the more Swiss guy. But I find in Switzerland, there are lots of people doing a lot of really good stuff. Uh, and we have a lot of very, I consider myself lucky to live in a place where in a small physical area, there's a lot of people who know their stuff well and do cutting edge stuff. And so I try to, I try to, uh, showcase those guys a little bit more, but you know, nice. not only if I find other people doing interesting things, I'm open to that as well. And um, uh, so it's a Swiss world to crypto. You can also find me on find me on Fountain, but you can also find me on all the other major podcast players. Um, and I, it's a little bit like my the, my discovery as well. So uh, I start off by doing all sorts of projects, and like you, little by little, I sort of I sort of narrow my field naturally in back into Bitcoin, if you like. Yeah. But I try to keep an open mind. Uh, you know, I'm open to other things, uh, but you know, I find more and more of them. Basically, to gain scale, they become centralized, and then you lose the whole point of a 
of a, a blockchain, which is a decentralized database. So, so, uh, so you're not dumping any funds into Dogecoin. Is that what you're telling me? <laughs> <laughs> Dogecoin, I always got a, a kick that, uh, what's his name? Elon Musk promoted it because the promoter of Doge, Dogecoin, initially, dog, I mean, it was a, his symbol was a dog. It was, it was a joke initially. How could you claim it, you know? Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, but you know, it is so tempting to sit there and when you have exchange accounts set up and this and that, and you see Elon throw out a uh, a tweet or something, you're like, hmm, maybe I can make a few bucks off of this. But uh, yeah, that's super tempting. But I just I stay away from all of that stuff. So, but so do I. Anyway, DDA, I uh, I did I say that right this time? You did. Good for Beautiful. you. Yeah, yeah, you I really appreciate you coming on and kind of running through Bitcoin. I think it was a great conversation. I think anybody uh, novice to uh, intermediate would uh, would find value in that and could definitely take stuff from it. So I really appreciate you coming on. I have your links in the, the, the podcast description, uh, link to your podcast. And I believe you had uh, your LinkedIn profile so people can uh, kind of find you out, check you out and uh, hook up with you. And uh yeah, any final thoughts or uh, are you ready to wrap up? I'm ready to wrap up. Uh, All right, man. I on. really appreciate it. And uh, if you want to hang out for a little bit, we can talk here when I wrap things up. But I'm going to throw on my closing music and we will uh, talk to everybody later. I can feel the sun.